0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a 1-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armor All. Less work, more clean. Terms apply.
1: Right, we're just a few weeks away from our first ever live edition of the Race F1 podcast on February 12th. So far we've got a great venue, King's Place in London as part of Pod Live. we've got me to host, Scott Mitchell Malm to give lengthy answers, and a very special guest in Ted Kravitz. So Ted, we've got to work out what we're going to talk about. What's there to look forward to in 2023 that we can get into in the live show, do you think?
2: Let me start by telling you a story about Murray Walker. There you go. Good start. um He always used to say at the beginning of a season, you know, Formula One has an amazing ability of reinventing itself year by year. And I used to think it's a funny thing to say, but you know, the more I think about it, the more he's right. And even though we don't have new cars this year, right? Slightly different with the raised, ride height, blah, blah, new tyres, we do have so many other new things that are worth talking about. We've got new drivers, we've got rookies, it's more than one, a couple of rookies, and we've got new team bosses. That's what I'm also so looking forward to, to seeing how that's all going to work. And then, of course, we've got the small matter of the World Championship. Will we be, at the end of 2023, talking about Max Verstappen, a three-time world champion?
1: There's loads of stuff to look forward to this season. That's going to fill about 40 minutes of our 75 minutes. Scott, can your song and dance routine fill the rest?
3: Um, it probably could if you, would, um, if you would unshackle me and just let me you know have, have full uh, creative license on it part of it for me that I think we can get into really nicely is the subjects of rivalries old and new because I would like to think we're going to see some familiar fights in 2023 but we're also going to see some new ones as well I'm really optimistic about that so I think that's a good subject for us to get into and obviously it won't just be us maybe we'll uh, have a few interesting insights from our audience as well
1: well this is great the running order is coming together very very well I think we've got to have some kind of audience interaction we'll definitely have a few questions we'll have a few bits of feedback from the audience Ted do you know anyone who's handy with a microphone who's good at doing a bit of broadcasting moving around because we could do with someone who could go out among the people
2: well what are we february the 12th is it going to be warm enough for shorts yes of course it'll be warm enough for shorts i'll bring my pink shirt and my shorts on and i'll get down there with a the microphone and
1: of course i think we should also hang around a bit at the end say hello to a few people will that be the chance ted to give a few
2: autographs definitely does anyone actually ask for autographs anymore but um yeah no we can uh, we can go and meet everybody and say hello
1: yeah, it's going to be great. All part of Sport Pod Live, a live podcast festival. We're there on February the 12th. That's a Sunday. Nice early afternoon slot. So if you're an F1 fan, it's just going to be a great event to come to. Hopefully, we've got so much to talk about. We're going to struggle to fit it all in. So to get your tickets, head to sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. That's sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. Get your tickets and we will see you there. The Athletic. The race is on, and Williams launched its 2023 Formula One season, but not its car, in an event at its Grove headquarters today. That included the official unveiling of new sponsor Golf. But what can we expect from the Williams FW45 when it does break cover, and why hasn't the new partnership heralded a bold new livery? I'm Ed Stewart, and joining me to reveal all are Scott Mitchell Malm and Mark Hughes.
4: Well, Mark, another
1: launch without a 2023 car, but unlike Red Bull, a more honest enterprise, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it was um, a very different sort of event, just a straightforward, no-frills season launch really, based at the factory, introducing a new sponsor, Golf, um, making key team members and the two drivers available to talk, telling us they will be giving the new car a shake down in Silverstone next week, which is when we all get to see it. So it wasn't trying also to be a big international gala event, a big TV only extravaganza so it wasn't trying to do too many things it was just saying hi to the media and here's where we're at what can we tell you but it would have been nice if they'd had at least a render of the what the car was going to look like but anyway it um, wasn't quite so frustrating a, a launch as the Red Bull one now.
1: Yeah it certainly went off a little bit more smoothly a bit better organized and there was no misdirection on the car so that was a very positive thing it was what it was. Scott what did you make of the whole Williams new look?
3: Um, it's remarkably similar to the old new Williams look. <laughs> uh, it is, um, it is ba- it's basically last year's livery, but that didn't surprise me. That was um, actually exactly what I expected it to look like. Um, basically a, a minor, minor evolution of the 2022 livery with a couple of golf stickers on it, um, which was the expect- expectation I had over the last few weeks. I know some people were getting really excited about the prospect of golf moving across from McLaren to, to Williams and... I don't know whether it would be because Williams is a smaller team and therefore you could do it more cheaply, but there did seem to be a bit of a swell of support online or belief online that there would be a more of a traditional golf livery, sort of Monaco 2021 McLaren esque, but as a as a real full time livery, but that never seemed likely to me because um, the the colour scheme, the branding that we saw introduced to Williams last year wasn't just. Uh, their latest version of all what kind of slightly generic livery can we come up with this year? It was actually a sort of well-conceived, deliberate branding exercise to create a look that Williams can adopt longer term. Because there, I think mean, there is a genuine strategic effort there to to try and maximize the Williams brand, and the the livery that they came up with last year was meant to be at the centre of that. So, I it's it's obvious to me that they would continue with it. And I think it also suggests that the golf uh, deal is, I'm not going to, minor might be a bit unfair, but it certainly doesn't warrant tearing up your branding strategy to accommodate a full livery. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, well, if people wanted a full golf car and want to know why it's not a full golf varied car, it's because they've not paid for it. Ultimately, that's what matters. And yeah, I was there when they pulled the cover off. And always when you have a a livery launch, you hope it might be a little bit more different and everyone loves a golf car, etc. So it was a little bit disappointing. It was basically last year's car and quite underwhelming. But... In a way, it would be worse if Williams suddenly decided it would tear up this much-vaunted new look of last year and go in a completely different direction, because that would paint a picture of a team that was a little bit all over the shop. So I, I didn't really mind it, and as I think I said in our live coverage on the site, what makes... Unchanging liveries exciting is success, isn't it? JPS Lotus went on for years and it's looked back on fondly. Didn't change a great deal, but that's because it was successful. Mulberry McLaren. And I think Red Bull actually, certainly whatever time, if ever indeed, the Red Bull livery stops happening, it will be looked back on as a classic because It's been there, it's the brand that encapsulates Red Bull, and it's had a huge amount of success. So, yeah, you can't ask for too much from these uh, these liveries. But I guess, Mark, positive for Williams that it's got a few new partners on board. Obviously, it's lost the Nicholas Latifi-associated companies. And for a team that we were questioning its overall position and the budget, etc., and the money coming in, that's gently encouraging, isn't it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you would hope it can give a a stabilizing effect and that they can, you know, just progress from there and and just get. Get get established, and stop sinking further down. Really, which is to halt that slide that was becoming apparent. Um, well, over the last few years, but which it last last year it, it started sliding down from the mild recovery it was making. So yes, you you would you would hope this um, is signalling that um, at least they're they're not going to be um, pulled down by by a, a, a lack lack of budget. So hopefully they have at least the budget to to do the the job that is reasonably um expected of them at, at, at this stage
3: do we have any idea at the moment where they sit budget cap wise
1: they were supposedly on the budget cap last year they claim to be
3: yeah so I as I, based on what based on what I've seen and and heard I think that Doralton are basically doing what they need to do behind the scenes to just ensure that the company is able to operate at the anticipated spending levels because i think as a company that they're they're losing money still each year that is reflected in the accounts and i'm sure it will be reflected in the 2022 accounts i can't remember whether we've talked about this on a podcast or not or if it came out in between recordings but there was that 35 million pound injection from williams um in a at the at the back end of uh last year shortly after um Jost Capito and uh, FX Maison left which I'm I'm pretty sure is just uh Doriton making sure that they've got all of the 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 necessary cash flow in place for for Williams to keep operating at the spending level it needs to when it's making a loss year on year and the suggestion from today at the launch was that just they've obviously had a bit of a turnover of branding and sponsors for this year because Latifi's gone and they've got some new ones coming in. But supposedly it is a slight net gain year on year in terms of the commercial stuff. So I think I think a combination of what Doralton's doing to ensure that the company can tick over at the expected or necessary spending levels, plus hopefully a, what they're saying is correct and therefore they have a, a gentle increase on the the commercial side, would hopefully mean that, that Williams is doing a... at least has what it needs to in terms of the the, the necessary funding. It, it isn't the most commercially successful team. You can see that because it is a bit sponsor light on the, on the car, but a combination of a slightly better sponsored portfolio and Doralton doing what they need to do as the owner, that can still be a recipe that works, can't it?
1: I think it's an interesting situation the team's in because Doralton, as a company owning it, they preach stability and long term etc and it's not like they bought the team came in kind of scorched earth it and tried to rebuild it with all the corridors paved in gold and winning championships in a few years so they're taking quite a controlled approach to the the whole thing i guess the the main question on the commercial side the the money side is whether they're willing to inject continue to inject money into the team in the long term and So far from what we've seen, they are doing that. There was some Doralton representation at the launch. James Matthews was there. I think you'd have seen him on the stream as well. So... Clearly, there's, there's real interest there, and there's not a team there that's just about to be thrown away or sold or, or run down, but there is an overall tone of recognising it's a very, very long way back for that team. It's going to take years for it to uh, to make, make the gains, and I imagine later in this podcast we'll talk a little bit more about it. But I think the one thing we would like to see from this, I'd quite like to see them reprising the full golf livery car for a one-off surely they've got to do something like that for a little bit of fun as mclaren did a few years ago
3: yeah it would be nice um it's one of those things that even you might not necessarily think it would because the um the golf colors and the history is actually now so surprisingly far removed from the present that you would just think that there would be an entire generation or two of, of fans for whom that the colours actually mean nothing or mean very little to. But the amount of excitement that there was over the last few weeks when all this was being speculated showed that those colours are, for, for whatever reason, um, really sought after. And I don't know if it's because... I mean, I'm sure there is, there's absolutely going to be, even in the youngest generation of Formula 1 fan, there will be a portion of that fan base that is interested in the history of the sport Uh, and when I say the sport I mean motorsport so not just F1 but Le Mans sports car racing who knows maybe there are some 16 year old massive Can-Am fans that are out there it's entirely possible but it will also be obviously videos and photos that they've seen subsequently it'll be times that that colour scheme has actually appeared in the modern age in some way it could even be that People who had no idea of the significance of um, the golf livery until it appeared on the McLaren that they love the Monaco livery, that they, they rec- and they learned a bit more about the history there. That there, there are different ways of um, sort of stumbling on to that kind of thing. So it's it's a bit like when um, Williams ran the Martini colors a few years ago which was a, another example of a sort of modern revival of a classic livery and I'll be honest I don't know how YouTube felt about this I, I was re- always so underwhelmed by the Martini liveries on the Williams um, in 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 the 2010s because I just thought it was like the most low key way you could have incorporated those colors onto the car but people love them when that deal ended that was like so many people were disappointed by that so I think it would be a total total no brainer for Williams to tap into all of that now they've got golf on board and even if it's just one or two races doing something fun with those colours
1: yeah I quite enjoyed the Martini livery I remember I went to the launch of that when it first appeared as well uh, through Williams and Martini kind of racing cars probably a little bit that the great ones you know the Martini Brabham's and the Lancia sports cars End up being a little bit before my time, but I, I enjoyed that, Mark. They're a little bit more, almost your time from when you were younger. So, was it, what did you make of the martini colours?
4: Yeah, I like, I liked it actually, but it, for nostalgic reasons, it you know that took me back to the martini problems. and um, it was, I think maybe why it, it, Scott feels it was a bit low key was because um, all of all liveries have become a lot more brash since then, and and really back then it was it was elegant it was back in the 70s it was a beautifully elegant um livery on a very elegant car the Gordon Murray's sequence of cars and i think that just sort of keyed in the, the the williams livery keyed into that time and that um a very different time in history and uh, you know it 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 sort of well a more a more g- glamorous time if you like where where formula 1 was um more uh, aspirational i guess and it was um just yeah just a very different time not a better or a worse time It was just you know nostalgic
3: i i would politely counter that with the suggestion that i think the reason i was underwhelmed is because actually my favorite martini livery was the it's the bt46 that was red wasn't it
4: yeah, well, the forty-five and the forty-six were both uh, red.
3: Yeah. Okay. So I, I just always, I, 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 that, that, that's the one that stands out in my memory. It was always my favourite of them. Maybe because it was different. Whereas the other one was the more sort of subtle, white with the stripes. The red one always stood out to me. But that was, that was, that was actually, I think, the first. Well, however, I came across it as a kid. I, I, I think, I think the red. The red car was actually the one I came across first, so that that might also play into that.
1: <laughs> That's funny, because I almost think of the red Brabham's of that period as a little bit of an interregnum between proper Brabham colours, the later Parmalat <laughs> ones and the earlier Martini, and even going further back, the uh, British Racing Green Brabham's. Although, of course, we all know the definitive Brabham livery was the 1992 car, so if anyone doesn't know what that looks like, <laughs> let's put it this way. Think garish nineteen ninety shell suit, and it'll give you an idea of the look of that one. But we, we have digressed. But golf have said they're going to do various activations and things they were asked a couple of times about whether they were going to do a one-off livery they said we've got to go forward do something new but actually i think it could be quite a nice easy win for them so it'd be nice to see something like that and everybody likes a nicely designed livery
3: as long as we never have to say the word activations again
1: yeah, I'll try and avoid it. That and synergy, they're the words we're not allowed to... Uh, <laughs> you know we're
3: sometimes. in launch season, don't you? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. These uh, these words get bandied around a lot and, of course, commercial people get to uh, get to be put up and, and to talk about it. But good for Williams. Golf's a nice brand to have in Formula One. Definitely not a bad thing, even if it isn't the most spectacular visual change.
3: Uh, just something you said there just made me think that this is worth flagging. Uh, all, all jokes aside about like commercial ter- terminology, one thing that is, I think, worth giving Williams a bit of credit for um, with this, this launch, obviously we absolutely sledge the um, elements of the, the Red Bull launch. The other good thing about the way they handled it was being able to speak to people like uh, James Bauer, the, the commercial director, They're putting someone like that up when you're announcing the golf partnership um, when it isn't as a full livery or anything like that. Like They, they weren't afraid. I mean, there was marketing speak in the way they answered, but they were at least able, you're at least able to ask them questions. So, and, and he was also happy to talk about other elements of, you know, the challenges of turning Williams into more of a commercial force. I, I believed what he said about it being a deliberate strategy. I'm sure they'd have more sponsors on the car if they could, but I also do believe that there is this, this desire in the Dorotan era to tap into the strength of Williams's heritage and, and and try and market that in some way. And, if there's a time of the year where it's okay to put up a commercial bod who, who then speaks about this, it is it is around the launch. Does And you don't need the car for that. You, you need delivery, you need the look, you need the people there. So a bit of credit there, I think, is due to, to Williams. They might not be the most exciting people to hear from, but it's better to hear from people like that than hear from nobody and see nothing.
4: Yeah, one of the interesting things that did come out of that commercial guy's talk was his, you um, described the analytics that they'd done their research with and they concluded that Williams was the fifth most popular team which you know considering it hasn't had success for many 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 years it's it's quite um quite encouraging that
3: it, it's um it, it reminds that reminded me a little bit of um sort of where McLaren was a few years ago when obviously not in anywhere near a, a, as long as prolonged a slump but I remember we've we've seen this with places we've worked in, in the past and now. McLaren endured an immense amount of support despite real dry spells on, on track and some, some, some real doldrums. And obviously Williams has tested that quite a bit more severely, which is maybe why they're they're, they're fifth rather than first on the popularity list. But it, it it shows one that they're actually interested in that kind of thing you know, gathering that data, looking at those metrics and trying to tap into it. And two, it does just speak to, I think, why a lot of people do just want Williams to to succeed. It is still a popular team. It's not like it's fallen to nothing that nobody cares about anymore. I think there's a lot of people out there that just want to see it do well because it, it, it's it got a special place in a lot of fans' hearts because of its longevity as much as anything else.
1: Another interesting thing that James Bower, the commercial uh, guy, said, and he, did speak well it was interesting to hear from him is that they've also got a, a small commercial outpost should we say in the US working on the US market apparently they're the only team that does that so that's quite interesting they've been quite forward thinking and really trying to build on that US interest in F1 so there's lots going on at Williams it's struggling at the moment but you can't dispute the fact they're really trying to build something up here under Doralton so some positives there.
0: Right, Mark, let's talk about the car, which might sound a little bit odd because there was no
1: car there to speak of, at least no 2023 car. But the Williams is being shaken down at Silverstone next Monday. We'll presumably get sight of it around then. But a few details have been revealed. So what do we know about it so far?
4: Um, Well, Dave Robson, the um, chief engineer, he was telling us that uh, visually the biggest change will be around the side pods. And that makes sense because... Where they were limited with the big update that they did last year in time for the British Grand Prix, from, from the original car to that car, um, they, you know that they changed that in the, the side part area pretty radically, but they, want, they actually wanted to go further than that, but were limited partly by the cost cap um, because they couldn't change the position of the radiators. The cooling system really needed to be completely redesigned uh, to get the optimum shape. So they've been able to do that with this car, And that was all about that that upgraded Silverstone from the original. If you remember, the original car of last year was almost zero side pods and a great wide expanse of outer floor um, and a big ramp downwards. They figured that wasn't the way to go and that the critical part was to get the air accelerated really hard over that rear corner where all all the the winglets are on top of the brake ducts and as the air is going inside the rear wheel over the top of the diffuser and that's how come they ended up with a much more conventional looking car by Silverstone time and it did it was quicker there's no question it was quicker when you when you when you track its qualifying um, deficit to pole position it was it was a good chunk quicker maybe half a second and basically they're saying we're going more in this direction now now that we've um, freed ourselves of the limitation of having the radiators in the wrong place for that shape of sidepod we're going more in this direction and That is the hope that they will widen out that whole window of uh, um, balance in the car where it it was very inconsistent through the corners. Um, We know that. Um, They've confirmed they're remaining with pull-rod rear suspension, which basically tells us that Mercedes has done the same because Mercedes provides Williams with the gearbox, and so that defines the mounting points so of the suspension. So um, that, that tells us that much. Um, they're quite happy with that. They, they say it doesn't interfere with um, what they were trying to do aerodynamically. So, um, yeah, th- that much we know, and we know it, it, it's given us a little bit of a clue about Mercedes as well. You know, some positive comments
1: from Alex Alden in particular, he's obviously driven the car in the simulator, him and Logan Sargent have been getting behind the wheel over the past month or so of the car. He feels they have made progress and it is an improvement in terms of being a better all-round car, a bit less peaky. The problem they had with front locking, obviously, last year they're trying to solve and they feel like they've made progress. Of course, the caveat we have to add to that is they didn't deliberately make the car have those limitations last year. And presumably, they didn't show up in simulation either. So, you have to not take it with a pinch of salt, but obviously simulations are simulations that only be in the real world. You'll get a feel for it. And actually, Alex Alban said it'll be when they get to Bahrain, turn nine ten, where you've got that sort of downhill, the uh, the, the sort of curved braking zone into that left-hander onto the back straight, which is if you've got a car that's struggling in that sort of area, will really struggle. So whether they're sort of pushing on and understeering there or... As uh, Alex Albon said, they were backing it into the corner, which is what they'd like to feel uh, in a controlled way, obviously. That, that'll that be the the thing that gives them confidence they've made some progress. But it is going to be a, a long road back. And We've talked in the past about their aerodynamic weakness. Dave Robson was asked about that and said, well, the historic spending of the biggest teams is a significant factor. It doesn't just get breezed away, that, that disadvantage in a year or two. So a very very long mission they've got there to improve the car get the aero departments understanding built and that's when you get start to get the control not just over generating downforce but moving a center of pressure around all these things that we've talked about in the past for example red bull being very good at then there's a lot of kind of small gains that will add up to that missing performance but scott they were kind of cautiously optimistic talking about trying to be consistent q2 contenders and therefore a bit more regularly in the points i mean that's obviously not historically where williams should be but that's that seems quite a nice sensible achievable ambition but one that still would represent a good step forward given they flitted between q2 and q1 exits last year with only the very very occasional foray into q3
3: yeah exactly so even when the car was you know, weaker. I think it's fair to say than it had been against its midfield rivals over one lap than the previous year or two. They still weren't a million miles away from that ambition. I think re-establishing themselves where they were most of the time in 2021, I think, is realistic. So, I think on a you know on their great weekends, they they should be fighting for Q3. But it should be a disappointment if they're just if they're you know locking out the last row. If, if the midfield is as competitive as it can be in Formula 1, then you're going to have Q1 exits if you're a midfield team. That That is just inevitable on the days that you have something go wrong or just tracks that don't suit your car or your drivers make mistakes. It, it's going to be possible. So it's not to say it would be a failure for Williams if they had Q1 exits this year, not by any means, but they do need to be real realistic. It is a long-term project. Um, the ideas that they had for the 2022 car didn't work. They had to change things. There is reason to be optimistic that they can make certainly at least as much progress over the winter as any team. Given they basically abandoned development work halfway through last year, they had big ideas for what they wanted to change on the car, but couldn't do that in season. So it all came down to what they could do over the winter. Um, so I see them as a as the team with arguably the sort of lowest hanging fruit um, and the performance level that they were at and despite that last year, was still relatively decent sometimes. So I think it's perfectly realistic for them to be a very respectable midfield team. And it's all well and good saying that that's not where, you know, Williams should be or should be aiming for. But, you know, we're not, we're not a million miles away from, from that being sort of the, the average position Williams is in over the course of its entire history. Because the, 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 Malaise or the dip in form isn't really a dip in form if it's been sustained for nearly two decades, is it? So um, I don't think it's realistic for them to be like, yes, we're going to re-establish ourselves as a constant top 10 threat in the next couple of years. It's going to take longer than that.
1: I only really register the fact that the Williams wind drought that we're in now was actually longer than the previous one because i remember being at spain in 2012 and we've been writing about the Williams talking about the williams wind drought for a very long time and kind of gets ticked off and you think right that's that ticked off for, for now we'll have to talk about that again and then suddenly you kind of look at the calendar and it's a decade later and it's 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 a longer drought so yeah there's a, a still a long way to go for williams but lots of goodwill there. interested to see how the dynamic works between the two drivers alex alban obviously did a very good job last year he's heading into the second year, so he knows the team inside out, very much the obvious team leader. And then the almost unknown mark of Logan Sargent, who we know has real ability. He was a bit of a star in karting as as well. Junior single-seater career, it's not one that you necessarily point out and say he's a superstar from, but also it's been a slightly difficult progression as well in terms of the opportunities he's had and not necessarily always being in the best place so he's done a great job to make it to f1 because at one stage it looked like he was going to grind to a halt in f3 not really through any lack of ability but just lack of opportunity so he's one i can see going either way there's a driver in there who could be a a real success and also help push alban on which will be no bad thing
4: yeah i'd say the basics are there it's it's down to him really what he what he can make of them and um You you don't. You see, with young drivers, they have all. You know, they're all very different people, and have different rates of development, and they they come from such a diverse range of circumstances that it's not. It's not really a linear thing, and you can't really track them and saying, "Oh, well, he was better than him in Formula Three, therefore, he'll be better than him in Formula One." It doesn't always work like that. Um, And yeah, he had he had um, he had flashes of form where where you thought, if he can. Um, learn to um, access that on a regular basis. There the, the could well be something there worthwhile. Um, and equally, you could have said that of Nicholas Latifi um, before. You know, before he started his F one career, and it didn't didn't really go anywhere. He wasn't a disgrace, but it, it, it didn't develop. So yeah, you're right. It could go either way. I think um, it'd be it'd be great if uh, if he developed into something you're really good because as a you know North American native in Formula One full time, that would be a great story. Um, and yeah, I think Alex, I think Alex is probably um, at operating at a high enough level now that he doesn't really need to think about I I need a teammate to bring out the best in me. I think, you know, he he needs to, he knows what he's capable of now. And I think he's accessing his own ability much more consistently than he did when he had the opportunity without as much experience earlier in his career. And um, I I, I think he was consistently excellent last year. And you'd be surprised if he wasn't again this year. That It's just really, um, yeah, it's... it would be good. It'd be good if Logan Sargent really starts developing as someone to watch. Um, that, that would be a nice little side story to the season. And a real
1: bonus for F1's development and evolution in the United States as well, given he's the only US driver. But yeah, certainly I wouldn't say that Alex Albon needs someone to make sure he stays on it, but just it's always good when you've got a stronger teammate. There's a little bit more to learn from, isn't there? There'll have been things he's been able to learn from Latifi, but... If Sergeant can be a quicker and more consistent threat, then there's just a little bit more to be learned.
3: The man had a year and a half alongside Max Verstappen. Ed, you can afford him a year and a li- oh, year or two alongside some slightly weaker opposition. This is just his. This is just his natural F1 career balancing itself out.
1: <laughs> to be honest, given how good Verstappen is, I think he'll need about a decade with uh, with, <laughs> <laughs> with easier teammates to exercise that particular experience. But uh, yeah, he's on for a, a decent season album. We can be pretty sure of that. And let's hope Sargent can join him.
0: Mother's Day is around the corner We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first,
1: a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task, and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast that's g-r-a-m-m-a-r-l-y dot com slash podcast easier said done well scott new williams team principal james vows wasn't part of this whole season launch because he doesn't start work until february the 20th so he's still on gardening leave what did we learn about the team's new direction?
3: I don't think we learned a a, a great deal, if anything, be, because um, you know we, we've heard from Valves previously, um, and the people that we spoke to um, today around this haven't haven't had chance to deal with him yet because he hasn't started yet there yet. So it's not even like there's been a, or certainly not that they can speak of uh, like an exchange of ideas or um debate over what needs to be improved and, and and where. So so that's a little bit tricky. The only the only thing I'd maybe say is um this is again a sort of slight affirmation of the direction of Williams under Doralton, which I'm very careful of speaking too positively about given obviously the problems that they've had. But I still I still feel like we're we're seeing the signs of a an organisation that's proactive rather than passive, and I think that is encouraging for for, for Williams. I, I talked earlier about the um, the thirty five million pound uh, investment with the, the 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 way the the shares were issued, basically, which I'm ninety nine percent sure is just Dorilton injecting the cash needed to to manage the the cash flow properly. Um, but you see the you see that they are bringing on um, new partners. Um, they are clearly convinced um, that branding it in their own way and, and pushing that marketing side is the way to go. Because the fact is, if they wanted to, if they weren't, if that wasn't deliberate, they would just cash in and sell the livery or sell the branding or do a title sponsorship at, for a peanuts deal you know like they they would they would settle for less but they're not doing that because they don't need to because they've got ultimately that that underlying support from Dalton underpinning the entire organization um there's the element that you mentioned earlier Ed which is that 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 US outpost where they're pushing things on the commercial side they are incredibly active in the US i think more active in the US than a lot of people might realise. The marketing work that they did in America last year was was huge, and I'm sure that will only increase with with Sergeant on board. So from today, I, I wouldn't say there were anything specific that was learned, but I just saw further examples of the kinds of things that Doralton are trying to do for Williams. And if nothing else, it does mean it's proactive. And that... That's important because they might not necessarily be doing the right things, but the alternative is to just have an organisation that's treading water across the board. And I still don't think that's where Williams is. I think there is a bit more to it. There is a bit more um, direct and deliberate attempts at rejuvenation going on there. I don't think they're thrown in the towel and they're just letting that organisation tick over to the point where you know it can just spin a profit for the paymasters. I think there is a lot more to it. There's a bit more ambition to it than that.
1: They're in an interesting position, because often in Formula One, you get two types of organisations. You get the Megabucks one that just throws money at it, and it's a question of whether, in throwing money, they'll find success and get the formula right. Or you get ones that are almost... Aston Martin. Yeah. Or you get ones that are kind of limping on, just surviving. And Williams got into that state in its latter years under the ownership of the Williams family, given the prevailing commercial conditions. But... Under Dalton ownership, it's kind of this middle path, isn't it? It's kind of there's investment, but not ridiculous investments. There's signs of progress, but it's not kind of promising instant success and that kind of thing. So it's an interesting little experiment to see something that's got this controlled expansion and growth, and it's the kind of thing that could get to to nothing. It could get Williams into a position where they're, at the very least, a strong midfield team again down the line. But, of course, always the talk under Capito, for example, was about 26 being the kind of earliest time they could make a significant stride forward. And even then, that wasn't talking about being race-winning. That was more within their class in the midfield. Mark, did you get any impression that much has moved technically there? They don't have a technical director now, but it feels like it's kind of ticking over as before, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, I feel that uh, Doralton have sort of just... Been uh, steadying the ship after they decided to made the choice that uh, you know the previous um, FX who came in with Jos um, uh, Capito uh, wasn't doing what they they hoped they would be doing, and they've that that's potentially quite destructive that you just sort of axe two very senior people like that and you know, you don't immediately replace them. So I think they've they've been very careful about just calming everything down and um, we'll, we'll see how it goes under the, the next rebuilding phase.
1: Yeah, and I think, assuming they are going to appoint a new technical director, which they are intending to do, I think it's an important appointment and it's worth taking their time over it and making sure they get the right person in i imagine james Vowles might have some ideas about who could be a good technical director if there's a good candidate perhaps lurking at just below that that top level of management in mercedes perhaps there's somebody there that uh, that could be drawn in or elsewhere there's a lot of very accomplished people technically in formula one so it's a question of identifying perhaps one who has the potential to be uh, a great technical director for this team that's on its way back up but for now yeah it's chipping away at their existing weaknesses and hopefully coming up with a car that's just that one step better than last year's one well thanks very much scott mitchell malm and mark hughes for your insight head to the race.com don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there listen to some of our sister podcasts including bring back v10s our Formula E podcast and also our IndyCar podcast and also have a look at our video channel on YouTube. The launches are coming thick and fast with the next one on Tuesday so stay with us for everything you need to know from Alfa Romeo. The Athletic.